listening to First Church Charlotte. Love all you guys. It's great to see you. I'm excited about teaching the scripture. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 43. We are going to read at verse number uh, 18. Isaiah 43. Verse number 18, my title tonight is this, Five Kinds of Stuck. Five Kinds of Stuck. Isaiah 43, verse 18, but the Lord says, now I'm going to read this in the Good News Translation. I read it in a bunch of it before, uh, but I wanted to share this one with you. A couple things. Now, as you guys know, um, we use translations to hear the words new. They oftentimes, they they kind of resound fresh to us when we look at a different translation. Uh, Sometimes translations are helpful for Bible study. Um, We don't necessarily um, do theology from some of the translations. Translations that are, shall we say, uh, more modern in their style. We want to make sure we're as close as possible. Uh, but as far as hearing the words fresh, uh, it's very good for us. So, sorry for that quick aside. Isaiah 43, verse 18. But the Lord says, Do not cling to events of the past or dwell on what happened long ago. Watch for the new thing that I am going to do. It is happening already. You can see it now. I will make a road through the wilderness and give you streams of water there. Streams of water there. My title, Five Kinds of Stuck. Before you're seated, fist bump your neighbor and say, I kind of think you're stuck somehow here tonight. And we've got to get you unstuck as soon as possible. All right. So I want to start with a real quick personal example. Uh, As you guys, most of you know, my wife and I traveled uh, for uh, eight and a half, nine years as evangelists uh, all across America. And part of that time, we were in the state of Colorado, and we were at a time of our scheduling where we didn't really have any place to go, which is a fancy way of saying nobody wanted us and we were quite broke. So (laughs) um, it it worked out okay at the time. because we had a friend uh, who is in my brother's church in South Florida, and they owned a house, uh, a townhouse, in uh, Summit County, uh, right all by the slopes of Breckenridge, this famous ski resort. And so, uh, right in the middle of winter, uh, I... I was never a good scheduler. Uh, you, you have to kind of be assertive, a certain kind of personality, kind of a salesman-style personality to be a good scheduler, and I was terrible at that. And so I, I really should have just handed it off to somebody else like people do nowadays. But anyway, uh, I was in this state. I had three weeks, two Sundays, three weeks off, and nowhere to go, and we really didn't have, we didn't, I had another event uh, like a month out, and so they found out we were there, they called us up and they said, hey, you can go stay at our house on up in uh, Summit County, which, wow, who doesn't want to do that? It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, house. And we go up there and... it was amazing. Uh, we had no money to go skiing. We had no money for winter sports, um, but we had a kitchen, and uh, they were paying for the utilities, so what's not to like? And uh, we cooked, and we enjoyed three weeks with nowhere to go, nothing to do, and no money to spend in the glorious winter terrain of Summit County at about 10,000 feet elevation, beautiful fireplace, hot tub out on the deck, and we were poor and hungry, but we were quite happy to be there. Uh, the first uh, real blizzard 
blizzard I ever went through was while I was there, and we went out and sat in a hot tub in the middle of a blizzard, and I mean, it was the wind was coming off the eaves of the house so strong that you literally would have to hide your face from the chips of ice that were flying, and the water was 102 degrees. It was like heaven. It was a good place, and right now you're a little bit mad that you didn't have that experience, and I don't care. You just have to suffer. Uh, that's the good side of the story. The bad side of the story is my truck didn't have snow tires on. It wasn't a four-wheel drive, and because it was a diesel, the, if you guys have ever driven diesels in the snow, the motors are very heavy, um, and uh, the rear end of the pickup without a trailer on it is light. And so uh, we, I pulled it, the first time I pulled into the house, I got stuck. Now, we had the AAA. They came and towed us out. Um, I tried a different position the next day, got stuck, called AAA. They lost money on us that year. They towed us out. Uh, the third day, tried a different one, came up with an elaborate plan, walked around the driveways, figured out exactly where to go, got stuck. I could not go anywhere near the house without getting stuck. So we started parking down in the city and walking about a mile and a half up to the mountain to get to the house every day. But at least we weren't stuck. And when we walked a mile and a half down or whatever it was, a mile and a half sounds impressive. It was also uphill both ways. Um, uh, you know, we weren't stuck. Now, here's the thing. It's really easy to get stuck in our lives and, and, and have a sense of being stuck, but not really knowing how it happened, not really knowing how to get out of it. We just have a sense, sometimes even a vague sense, that we are stuck. We're stuck in our career. Um, we're stuck if our, our opportunities, our options. We're stuck in, in, in our ministry progress. We're, we're not growing as a Bible teacher or as a Bible home Bible study teacher or as a small group leader. We're not growing as children's ministries or, or student ministries, or men's ministries, or ladies' ministries. Many of you volunteer in ministries, and you have a sense that you'd like to do everything better. Can I have a big amen? amen. And you have the sense that you're kind of stuck, but you don't exactly know how it happened, and you don't know exactly how to go how to get out of it. Uh, my dad bought me a book for Christmas, uh, and uh, the title, uh, well, I won't get into the book, but it's a pastoral book, and uh, the first chapter of the book was basically what I'm teaching uh, tonight. It is um, an excellent book, and I'll remember the guy's name in just a moment when I quit trying. Um, the first kind of stuck that people fall, fall into, the first kind of stuck, where you, you just have a sense that you are in some way held by amber. You are somehow stuck in the mud and you'd like to make progress, but you are stuck. The first kind of stuck that we get into is denial. We are living in denial. We are not facing the facts of our circumstance. We in some way have created a self-deception. This is one of the most difficult kinds of stuck to get out of. Because if you will not admit you have a problem, anybody who tries to help you is wasting their time. Some of the biggest mistakes I've made as a pastor has been believing people who told me they wanted to know what I think. I know you're laughing, but it is the honest, sad truth. 
even recently, one of the biggest mistakes I've made is somebody sits there and they tell me they want to know. They tell me they can handle it. They tell me they're ready to grow. They tell me they're ready to be a leader. They're ready to step forward. And I'm like, okay. And I believe them. And then I tell them, even trying to tell them nice, even trying to kind of mostly be kind about it, you hit them with what you see and they thought they were ready for it. <coughs> How many of you have ever lived what I'm talking about right now? They thought they were ready for it. <coughs> Excuse me, but they were, they were not ready for it. Uh, denial uh, is whenever we deceive ourselves about the reality of our life. Great definition of reality is this. Reality is what continues even if you don't believe in it. <laughs> That's reality. Um, and so we understand scripturally, and we see it emphasized multiple places, that although faith is a direction of spiritual goal and aspiration, it does not help you, even in faith, to lie to yourself about where you are. Even though you're a person of faith, faith is like a star that leads wise men. Faith is like a call of the spirit that says over here. Faith is like a bush that is burning without being consumed on the horizon. And it beckons us and it calls us and it leads us. But it is never a lie about where you are. Uh, John 1 and 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we saw his glory, his honor, his majesty, such glory as the only begotten son receives from his father full of grace and what truth truth is fundamental to who God is and what he wants to do in us and through us John 1 17 for while the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ John 4 and 24 God is a spirit yes and they that Worship him, must worship him in spirit and how? In truth. And finally, John 8, the famous one you've all quoted, the truth will set you free. Denial is, is a dangerous kind of stuck because if you do not agree where you are and you do not feel like you need help, uh, it's really a waste of everyone's time to try to help you in any regard. I would challenge you to humble yourself before God and seek truth. Not what your cousin said, not, not what your third uncle said. Is there a such thing as a third uncle? Maybe there's a third cousin. Not what your 17th uncle said, not what your best friend uh, said, not what, you know, uh, your kids or you, you literally say, I I am seeking truth, and I am seeking truth. I am, I am not one who is, uh, uh, and this is an interesting way to think about this, but it's very spiritually healthy. We are pursuing truth. We are seeking truth. We are not holding truth. We are seeking truth. Right. You see what I'm saying? Now, what, that, that can sound dangerous. And you can think, oh, well, that sounds to me like you're open to false doctrine. Light is not afraid of the dark. Right. 
And there is no amount of darkness that can overcome the smallest candle that is burning among it. In fact, it works the opposite way. The greater the darkness, the brighter the light. And so, number one, uh, denial is a terrible kind of stuck for you to live in. The second kind of stuck that holds people uh, back from progressing in their abilities, progressing in their ministry, even progressing in their career and their growth as an individual. The second kind of stuck is entitlement, where you begin to feel like somebody owes you something. God owes you something. Uh, Your brother owes you something. Your sister owes you something. Everybody knows the pastor owes you something, and you live with a sense of entitlement. You can do that, but when you do it, you are spiritually stuck. You're not going anywhere. You are not progressing. You are not growing. You are not lifting up your eyes to the harvest. You're not seeing what is beyond you. You are stuck in entitlement. I want you to see, rather, rather how Jesus models his position as the most powerful powerful person in any room he enters. I want to say that again. Now, if the president walks in a room, the president is always the most powerful person in any room he walks in. Now, let's talk about one who makes presidents look like church mice. When Jesus walks in a room, he is the most powerful person in that or any other room. That would destroy most of us. We're not prepared to handle that kind of power. But the Lord modeled for us how we should live, what our demeanor should be, what our attitude one to another should be, what kind of a church culture should kind of germinate among us. And it is simply this. Jesus at the Passover meal talks about all powers given to him. And what does he do next? He washes their feet. Now, if you want to talk about a stunning image, imagine, uh, who's the richest guy in the world right now? uh, Bezos. I think he's worth $17 or $19. He's worth a lot of money. And um, he's like $130. But anyway, you get the idea. It's, It's beyond. Imagine him coming in here and saying, I'm the least of you guys. Now, Jesus is a billion times more powerful than any president, any wealthy individual. And he tells his disciples, look, I have all power as in Toto, as in uh, Mucho, as in uh, tacos and enchiladas. I have all power. What can I do for you? Can I serve you? That is the opposite of entitlement. Uh, In Luke 14, Jesus gives us the parable of how we ought to go to uh, social events, how we ought to go to public social events like a feast. He said, don't look for the most important seat. Don't jockey for the most important position. Uh, Rather, this is your demeanor. This is your style. This is church culture that should kind of move as a style of being for us religious people. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Honey, lay your entitlement down. Nobody owes you anything. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and say, if I'm going to get better, I'm going to work for it. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to believe. I'm going to show up with a checklist. I'm going to do it right. I'm not looking for a free lunch. I'm not looking for someone else to owe me anything. No one owes me anything. I am here to serve. 
in ministry, if we get a sense of entitlement, it is another form of stuck, and our spiritual maturity is limited by our sense of in entitlement. Matthew 20, Jesus said to his disciples, verse 25, look, you guys know that among the Gentiles, um, there's political structures, there's uh, the Lord rules over his subjects, and high officials exercise authority over their, 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 their subjects. Not so with you. That's Jesus' words. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you, you must be uh, among you, you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man, just as the Son of Man, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I don't, I'm not owed anything. I've recently been given uh, some of the kindest letters uh, from some of you guys. I, I, I've been opening them and reading them. It's just, it's just, uh, I, I'm literally, I, I've just been blown away. Uh, when I was out sick, um, uh, Miranda's little girl, uh, Victoria, she, Victoria, you wrote me that card. It just made my day. I just, it just, she wrote on there, you got to get better. I just can't live without you. And baby girl, that made my day. You get free hugs for the rest of the year. I mean, you're like in the Pastor Nate's hug club. And so <laughs> it just made my day. People have been so kind to me and so, and so sweet to me. But the moment I feel like I'm owed that, I have just limited myself in ministry. I've just limited myself. I am stuck. The third kind of stuck. Well, let me give you one more scripture just in case you think I'm rushing uh, through the word. Philippians 2. Paul says this. Look, you guys' attitude, and I'm doing this in modern uh, speech intentionally. You guys' attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ's attitude, he says. Uh, This is Jesus' attitude. He was of God. He had the same nature of God, but he did not go around promoting his godness, but rather he was content to take on the form of humanity us lowly, weak, broken, unorganized people. He took on the form of a servant. And more, he wasn't satisfied just to look the part. He died just like all of us weak people die. He modeled humility. He became obedient. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that's why he's exalted. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. The third kind of stuck, the third kind of stuck um, that we find ourselves uh, facing. Uh, by the way, the book is Who Moved My Pulpit? And the author is Thomas Rainier, uh, probably the leading researcher of church growth uh, in America today. Uh, anyway, uh, the third kind of stuck is this. People play the blame game. It's another form of stuck. You're not improving. You're not getting better. You're not going anywhere. You have limited your ability to grow because you are playing the blame game. Let me, let me uh, talk about this a little bit. First of all, when you play the blame game, rather than taking responsibility, you find a way to put the cause of the mistake on someone else. Whenever you do that, um, it's dangerous on several levels because uh, you literally put your relationships at peril. You risk relationships to cover incompetence. And there's something way more important than how competent you are today. And that's who you love and who loves you. And who you support and who supports you. Something much more important than whether or not you had a bad day or a bad week. You risk relationships in an attempt to cover bad performance. And so when you blame others, what you do is to have a temporary covering you end 
a permanent advantage, a permanent place of support, and you risk relationships. Secondly, when you blame others and you play the blame game, you, whether you intend to do it or not, you always end up staying the same because after all, it wasn't your fault. You see what I'm saying? It's always somebody else's fault. You just limited yourself. You are stuck. You're not getting stronger. You're not getting better. You're not getting smarter. You're not getting faster. You are stuck, and it is someone else's fault. This is uh, very common. I have done it. You have done it. But when you blame, you stay the same. Someone should write a country western song about that. Oh, if you blame, you'll always stay the same, you loser. All right, just if you'd like to write that down over there, brother, just we'll do that after church, okay? Um, so, uh, thirdly, a blame props open the door and gives the accuser of the brethren access to your life. Why? Because when you lie, not simply as a mistake of detail. We can tell lies that were not intentional lies. They're a mistake of detail. When we lie intentionally, we, as Jesus said, become like the father of lies. And when Jesus criticizes, oftentimes, when those who would attack him, he identified them not with just with the lie, but he identified them with the father of lies. When we make a language, I know that's a strong word to say, but when we make a language out of lying, we cover our error by what someone else did as though we had no decisions. We had no choices. We are simply uh, stuck. We're not maturing. We're not growing. And the tragedy of all of this is we are God's plan to reach our small world, respectively, individually. You have friends. God, you are God's hand. You are God's feet. And if you aren't getting better, if you aren't getting more prayerful, if you aren't getting more filled with a desire to, to love and to serve, if you're not putting high standards on yourself, do justly. And showing mercy to others, love mercy. Two things the Lord requires, to do justly and to love mercy. Justice is high standards on yourself. Mercy is low standards on other people. People like that never lack for ministry opportunities. It's the flip side of that, where I always am forgiven myself, but I have high standards for other people. That is how you create a culture, a culture of death. So, um, uh, Don, I'm going to pick on you. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not really sorry. You've suffered a lot, so you're used to it. So I asked Don to do something here um, for the church, uh, to check on something the other day um, uh, about some real estate stuff. I know you're, like, nervous. I'm, I'm going to blow you up here. I'm sorry. So I want to show you uh, how to deal with... Uh, uh, the, 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 this issue. So I said, uh, hey, sir, were you ever able to speak to the neighbors over by the lot that the church owns? I asked him some weeks back, and um, he hasn't. He just totally dropped the ball. He's just a great big loser. Nothing. No progress. Say it with me. No progress. I'm telling your wife, you're going to have a bad night. That's all I have to say about that. Now I want to read his response, Okay. Sorry, sir, I have not been able to connect with them. This is my fault for not pursuing them more aggressively. 
I will reach out again. He did not say, I've been busy with the holidays. Everybody's busy with the holidays. Nobody gets better with excuses. He did not say, my wife beat me up three weeks ago and I've been in the hospital recovering. Even though that was true, he did not lean on that as an excuse. He owned it. It's not complicated. Own it. Yeah, I've been busy. Yeah, I have a job. Yeah, I have kids in town. Yeah, it's the holidays. It's my fault for not being more aggressive. Okay, thank you for that uh, insight into his life right there. I want you to see if you are in the habit of blaming others, you are cheating yourself. Because the motivation that you need to kick yourself right in the posterior, you're trading it away. You know that angry, shameful feeling you want to cover up with a lie? Look it in the mirror. That's what you need to get better. Mm, mm. The fourth kind of stuck. I've never done that before, but that was kind of fun. I think I'll pick on Ed next time. I'm going over my texts right now. Uh, (laughs) I have a great staff. I have a great staff, and I love them. And I do beat them about the head, neck, and shoulder. So anyway, fourth kind of stuck. Critical spirit. Um, Criticism is a type of addiction. It's just like all addictions, a round-the-way method of making ourselves feel better. Uh, People get addicted to things because they're addicted to how they feel under the influence. That's what addiction is. Eventually, it becomes biological. Well, before it's biological, it's psychological. Okay, they, uh, one of the addicts I spent months working with and I still pray for and I still try to touch base with him sometimes, um, he, he, he told me this in tears. He said, I like myself high. That was his, that is exact quote. I like myself high. So he's fixing a psychological thing with a feeling. Okay, now if you do it long enough, it becomes biological necessity and then you have withdrawals and all that kind of stuff. Criticism is another form of making yourself feel better, but it's very dangerous to you. It's a vicious cycle and it's just another form of stuck. You're not becoming a better Christian. You're not becoming a better leader. You're not becoming more effective in the call of God that's on your life. You're not blessing the church. You're not reaching the city. You're not fulfilling your call. Oh, but you feel good about yourself. Why? Judgmentalism and criticism is another form of uh, soothing yourself and uh, making yourself feel better about your own um, issues. Criticism is a vicious six, uh, a cycle. Here's why. It puts everyone in your life on the defensive. Uh, most people aren't stupid. If, when they get done listening to you talk about so-and-so, they wonder what you say about them. Okay, so, number one, it puts everybody on the defensive. People who you need to be vulnerable for you to be a whole person. Did you hear what I just said? You aren't a whole person by yourself. You are pieces. But God joins you together with others. Spouse, children, friends, church, ministry team. I am not a whole pastor. I am pieces. And so the Lord brings other people into my life to make me a whole person. It is impossible for me to be whole by myself. If you'd like to write that down, just make sure you give me credit for it. It's impossible for you to be whole by yourself. You are joined together with others. We do life. We do ministry. We do outreach. We do purpose with other people. And so um, you uh, put those people who you need to be whole you put them on warning that you're not to be trusted with their errors, their mistakes, 
their hangups because everybody has all of them, including you. Number two, it focuses on what's wrong. And it, it, it presents what is wrong as a form of entertainment. Number three, it implies blame. It's an easy way out. We use somebody's flaws to blame them for events that are downstream from those flaws. Also, it's single-dimensional. When we judge people, we focus on one behavior. That same person who may have one bad behavior may also have things that they do much better than you. But by focusing them on one critical behavior, you have negated the good in them. What if I negated the good in you by pointing out the one or two dumb things you can't stop doing? Or I can't stop doing? It is unfair. It is cruel. It is uh, ultimately a limiting factor on our own capacity for mercy. Finally, chances are your criticisms are more about your frustrations than they are the other person's failures. And so it's a waste of everybody's energy. Um, it, is a, it is a waste of everybody's, everybody's time. Um, don't, don't, don't fall into the habit of, of, of doing criticisms from mystery people. Uh, it's like, it's the past problem. Past. People are saying that. Um, if it's not your jurisdiction, there's nothing you could do, even if you knew the right thing to do. But let me tell you what you will do. You will cast away your confidence. You will limit your own mercy. You will create a negative environment. And the result of all that is you are stuck. It would be great if you had more faith than you have, but you're not going to get it. You're stuck. It would be great if you had more vision than you have, but you're not going to get it. You're stuck. It would be great if we had more hope and more joy and more thanksgiving and more worship, but we're not going to get it. We're stuck when we have attitudes of criticism toward others. I want to be honest and say it's fun to criticize. Let's not, let's look the truth right in the eye. It is fun to criticize. It is a gateway drug. It's fun. Did you hear Brother Nathan sing last Sunday? <laughs> really? Really? He really just needs to stop. Not talking about that one, talking about this one. He, you know, he just, he just will get up there and he'll just pick a song and he'll just take off singing. He don't even care. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't know who he thinks he is. That was fun. Now we talked about me. Let's talk about you. It's fun. But you're stuck. And if you want to open the gates of mercy in your life, you need to shut up. If you want the people you love to feel like they live in a safe place, you need to shut up. If you want to have courage to take a chance when you see an opportunity, you need to hush. 
Because if you know what you've been doing to the guy who tried and failed, it will destroy your faith to try anything because you know how stupid you could look. But if you'll create a culture of let's 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 try, let's 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 give it a shot. Well, well, if you create this where you always see something good, you always see something when it comes your turn to step forward and risk. Let me tell you, all ministry is through faith, another form of risk. It is simply risk. You're trying, you're putting yourself out there. You're asking if you can pray for him. You're teaching a Bible study. You're going back after you walked away and saying, I, look, I, I really wanted to ask you to, if I could pray for you, but I, I didn't know how to do it. It's risk, it's risk. They may not receive you. Critical spirit will destroy your faith and you'll never take a risk because you know what people like you do with failures. Let's not be stuck with a critical spirit. Can I have a big amen? Amen. Lastly, the fifth kind of stuck is confused. Musicians come, play something about confusion. (laughs) If you want me to write a country western song about confusion, uh, I can, yeah, I can totally write you a song. Tell you what, you know, I'm looking for an opportunity if you would like me to, you know, (laughs) you see that look? I can read his looks. So, um, Fifth kind of stuck is confused. How many of you have ever been confused? How many of you are confused tonight? <laughs> Hear me, I'm almost done. I'm trying to help somebody, I'm trying to help myself. How many, how many of you are confused about something tonight? I don't understand why you hadn't won the lottery either. I I know you made that bargain with God, and I know you said that you'd give 70% of it to the church. You know who you are, and you you made that bargain, and God was like, uh, yeah, 30% of that much money would destroy you, and you were like, really? No. The fifth kind of stuck is confused. Um, Real quickly, uh, I was recently in uh, Lake Charles, and pastor was there that... I got him fired as an evangelist. And he said it wasn't my fault, but we all know it was. <laughs> um, I've told the church just a few times uh, the story about the church where there was a, a real strong racist element and uh, they came against us and the pastor took my side and resigned. Uh, formative stories from Pastor Nate. Um, he, got, he lost his job. <clears throat> he got fired. And so <laughs> I was preaching uh, there Thursday night and I looked out and he was there and I I, I almost said brother you have me another job I can get you fired from I mean you know evidently I have a gift you know (laughs) what after that happened we both got kicked out of town (laughs) he got kicked out of town I got kicked out of town both got kicked out of town um I went into kind of a ministerial depression I was so confused for about three weeks, I parked my trailer in a pasture where goats were out there feeding. And I sat in my chair and I looked out the window and watched those goats eat. Now that's just pitiful. I was so confused. Okay, so confusion can be another form of stuck, right? It can be. We're being honest. We're facing it. But I want to say this. Uh, how, do we, how do we get out of that form of stuck? Even though you may be confused about many things, there's a very high probability there's a few things you're not confused about. 
So it's the same principle of thanksgiving in our life. If you focus on what you don't have, you will ruin your own day. But if you'll focus on how good God has been to you. Some of you might be financially tight after the holidays. I know I'm out. I've been washing dishes in restaurants lately because I spent all my money on Christmas. And so my wife won't give me anymore. She spent all hers too. So uh, just having fun. Um, if you focus on what you don't have, it's defeating. If you focus on what you have, it's uplifting. Whenever there's an issue in your life, I have an issue in my life that's very confusing. Um, if we focus on what we're confused about, uh, it leaves us stuck. If we focus on the things we know, it gives us traction to dig, dig out of that kind of stuck. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you started something. We'll just tell you what, let's just, many of you have done small groups. Let's just use that as an example. Say you started a small group. You had people there a couple times and then it kind of fizzled. And after it was over, you know, the end of the semester comes and you think, you know, I'm not very interesting. I'm not very good at this. I guess I just failed. I, I wanted to do good. I, I, you know, I, I thought I thought it would be you know better than it was, but you know it was kind of jadaster. So, uh, if you focus on that, you're stuck. You're done. You're, it's over. You don't know why it didn't work. It just didn't work. If you instead will focus on the fact that you still have a call on your life, you're not confused about that. If you stay here, it, you might as well be confused about your call because you will have quit. But if you'll back up from what you're confused about and focus on what you know. I, I know God still has a purpose for me to do. Now, that try was a great disaster, and it didn't turn out too well, and probably wasn't as bad as we think it was, you know, and, but that's how we tend to treat ourselves. And, uh, if you get back to what you know, you will dig out of whatever rut you are stuck in. Five kinds of stuck. Let's all stand. So I want to read my text again since I have you standing. But the Lord says, Do not cling to events of the past or dwell on what happened long ago. Watch for the new thing I am going to do. It is happening already. You can see it now. I will make a road to the wilderness and give you streams of water there. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would walk with us, oh God. I pray that you would lead us. Lord, as a church, we don't want to lose our momentum. We don't want to, we don't want to get distracted and caught up in things that, that pull us down and, and limit us. Lord Jesus, we want, to, we want to face the truth. We want, to, we want to have courage. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.